Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Well, if you don't know me, I'm not from around here. I'm actually from Perth, Western Australia. I've just had an awesome week in WA and came back here and realised, why did the weather get so cold in Melbourne? (laughs) But if you do have your Bibles, we're going to open up the Word. We're going to go to Mark chapter 5, verse 21. We're going to read a bit of Scripture together. Can I encourage you to carry around a physical Bible? I say this to my young people over and over and over again. The reason being, yes, it's the same words on your phone. However, my Bible only has my Bible. My phone has Instagram. It has FaceTime. It's got phone calls. It's got my emails on it. When I go to the Bible, I just want the Bible. I don't want my distractions. Amen? So encourage you, get a physical Bible in your hands. Mark... Chapter 5, verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed over again to the, again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You're crazy. No, he said, The crowd is pressing around you, and yet you see who say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had actually done it. But the woman, knowing that she, what had happened, had come to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and he be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came a ruler, uh, there came one from the ruler's house, someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed one to follow him, no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, and the, the, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion of people weeping and wailing loudly. And then he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, but he put them outside, took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up, began to walk, for she was 12 years old, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them to tell no one and told them to give her something to eat. I thank you, Father, that all through your word, your handprint is on your people to see wondrous signs, to see who you are manifest in the land of the living. 
Today, Lord, I ask, speak for me. Let your words be heard today. And I ask, Lord, Holy Spirit, show yourself in the lives of each and every one of us. Like I said, I'm not from around here. I'm actually, I'm from Perth. And before I came to Melbourne from Perth, I spent 12 months in Italy. It was great for a while. And then I couldn't get a visa to stay. And so I had to move. So I moved to Melbourne. Some say an upgrade. I say an upgrade. But while I was in Italy, I started to realize something very, very quickly. Italians are not great on being on time. Worse than general Italians at being on time are Italian trains. If you have never been in Italy, hire a car. (laughs) But I didn't have a car. And I was living um, about an hour by train from uh, Milan where I was working as an English teacher. I'd catch a train every day to work and a train every day home at night. And it was very, 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 very often. I can't say enough varies to tell you how often this happened. That at night, I would finish my last class of teaching English at 9 p.m. I'd get to the train station just before 9.30 p.m. And there was meant to be a train at 9.30 p.m. And I'd say 50% of the time, amen, there was a train at 9.30 p.m. The other 50% of the time, well, I was waiting for the next one. And there was probably about 5% of the time where I just decided, you know what, I'm going to go find a hotel for the night because that was going to be quicker and easier than trying to get home. We hate interruptions, right? We hate delays. We hate things that take us off the course of what we think we should be doing. We hate interruptions so much that we have a calendar that plans every single minute of our day. And yet we're saying miracles are normal. You see, how miracles are actually defined uh, by one of the great American theologians that started multiple seminaries in America, Norman Geisler. He says, in brief, a miracle is a divine intervention or an interruption of the regular course of the world that produces a purposeful but unusual event that would not or rather could not have occurred otherwise. A miracle is a divine interruption into the regular course of our world. I want to speak to you today about divine interruptions because all through the gospel, all through Acts, in fact, all through the Bible, every time we see the Holy Spirit make a move, every time we see a healing, every single time we see something miraculous, in fact, it is a divine interruption by the Holy Spirit into the lives of those people. And we see it in David. He rocked up just to give some lunch to his brothers. But there was an interruption by the Holy Spirit. Boldness came upon him and he said, you know what? Come at me, Goliath. I got you. And you know, we then read about Gideon who was stuck in a wine press trying to beat out wheat. Wrong place for it. But he was interrupted by God and told, get up, Gideon. I've got a mission for you. We then read about a king named Jehoshaphat who when his advisors came to him and said, you know what, all these armies are coming against you. Holy Spirit interrupted them and said, no, fast and pray for I'll deliver this victory on your behalf. Moses' life was completely interrupted constantly by the Holy Spirit. Every time that he tried to do something, he was interrupted. His call story was an interruption. He was meant to be finding and tending to sheep. 
but he was interrupted by a bush that was on fire but wasn't burning. If you're expecting miracles to be normal in your life, but the only time that you have for a divine interruption in that life is when you come to this altar on a Sunday, I'm sorry, but miracles cannot be normal in that life. Miracles are only normal when we actually submit to these divine interruptions of the Holy Spirit. And I've had to preach this word to me every single day this week because this is a revelation that I've had to get inside of me. Because for weeks and months, I've had a calendar that's been blocked out, filled to the brim. Not even two minutes to chat to a barista behind the counter that the Holy Spirit has prompted me with a prophetic word. And I hazard a guess that I'm not the only one. But the beautiful thing is that I'm actually not telling you to do more. I'm telling you to do less. I'm telling you to get out of the way and let Holy Spirit actually interrupt you and take over for a second. Let's take a quick look at this passage again. I want to highlight some of the interruptions in this passage. There's six. Six in different interruptions, differing in who interrupted, differing why they interrupted, a whole bunch of different things. But Jesus gets out of the boat and he's interrupted. A great crowd gathered about him. Now, we don't know why Jesus crossed the river, but I don't think he expected necessarily to be met by a crowd. Sometimes there's the unexpected interruptions in our life where we actually cannot do anything about it, but we're faced just with a crowd around us and we have to submit to it. But the next interruption, Jesus does have a choice. Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, he says, can you come and heal my daughter? Sometimes we're actually interrupted where we have a choice whether to act or not. But you've been given the Holy Spirit in which you've actually got the power in which you can act. And Jesus understood that and so he acted upon it. But along the way, he was interrupted by a woman with an issue of blood who had tried everything. There's people in your lives that have tried everything, that are searching for meaning, that are waiting for you to actually just walk past and give them an answer. And that answers Jesus. That answers a Holy Spirit encounter. That answers a divine interruption. You see, Jesus wasn't too preoccupied with something else that he was trying to do, that he wasn't concerned with what was going on. He actually dignified this woman. He didn't just go, sweet, I healed her. I didn't even have to do anything about it. No, no, he turned around. He wanted to find out who she was. He wanted to see her face. He wanted to talk to her. You've got to understand how countercultural this was. This woman was bleeding. She wasn't allowed in the temple. She was unclean. And yet Jesus wanted to know who she was, see her face to face. Where the disciples wanted to rush him to the next appointment, Jesus wanted to take a moment to have a divine interruption with her. The next interruption we actually see is directly after this, and it says, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the ruler's house and said that your daughter is dead. There's interruptions in our life that looks like it's the final say. But Jesus goes, just have faith. Just have faith. He can turn an interruption into a divine interruption. 
And he does that in this. But before he does that, he actually interrupts grief. People were grieving. People were weeping and wailing loudly. And he interrupts them. He gives them the divine perspective on the situation. Sometimes we're so concerned with complaining. Sometimes we're so concerned with where we're at. So concerned with all the circumstances around us that we just need a divine interruption from Holy Spirit to say, get up. It's just sleeping. It's not dead. Your dream ain't dead yet. And that's exactly what he does. And then he interrupts death. Do you know we actually serve a God that can interrupt what we consider to be finite and final? We serve a God that can actually interrupt what we say is the end. He's like, no, 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 it's just, it's just, a, minor, it's just a minor thing. It's all good. Six interruptions. In 2017, I wasn't going to tell this story. <laughs> in 2017, I was, um, I was at a, a, a camp. Um, it was a, I used to volunteer in a mental health organization. We used to run training camps to train young people how to deal with um, the mental health uh, of their friends around them because there was a whole bunch of research and it still is the same that the first port of call for a lot of young people is that they actually talk to their friends rather than talking to anyone else. So we wanted to train their friends in how to have those conversations. So we were at a camp and we were, um, I was uh, taking photos and I was uh, doing the media for that camp as well as facilitating a couple of the sessions back in 2017. I was in year 12 and I got a call from my mum. I could hear in her voice that there was something wrong. And she said, you have to come quick. We're at the hospital and we're meeting your, your grandma at the hospital. You have to come quick. And without even thinking, I hang up the phone. I looked at the director of the camp and I said, I've got to go. Didn't say anything else. Got in the car, drove, drove the 35 minutes to where the hospital was, not, not actually knowing what I was walking myself into. I walked in and I saw my uncle. I said, what's going on? And he just shook his head. And he said, she's gone. I walked into, into the room, and there my grandma lay. My grandma wasn't there anymore. And in that moment, there was something in me that wasn't satisfied anymore. Weeks later, after they'd done all, everything they um, had to do, they came to us and they actually told us that they still didn't know why she died. There is no reason for this. An interruption in my life. I was in year 12. I was a couple of months away from my exams. My grandma was the glue that held it out, not just me together, but our whole family together. She was actually the a long line of um, missionaries, and that's my inheritance of missionaries and church planters. And the stories I would hear from her over and over and over again would build my faith. It was an interruption. And it interrupted me for longer than a couple of weeks. It interrupted me for a couple of months. And it interrupted me actually until I was in Italy. And I realized that I hadn't dealt with my grief. 
it was a continual interruption, but the moment I submitted it to the Redeemer, the moment I submitted it to the Father, it actually became a divine interruption for me. Because from that, I learned so much. From that, I'm actually standing here today. Because if I let an interruption stay an interruption rather than submitting it to the Father and not, and not letting it become a divine interruption, I would actually not be standing here on this stage today because it was my grandma that called it out of me that I would be a minister of the gospel. It was my grandma that actually started to speak that into my life. And the moment she died, I thought that calling was interrupted. But Holy Spirit, divinely interrupted my grief. If you're here today and there's something that's dead in your life, whether that is someone that you lost, Holy Spirit can divinely interrupt your grief and turn an interruption in your life to a divine interruption today if you just submit it to his life. Now I've got to figure out where I'm up to because Holy Spirit wanted to interrupt. (laughs) So there's all these interruptions in the story. And we see miracles throughout the Bible. And seeing all of this, it leads me to the question of, well, why aren't miracles normal today? Because I don't know about you, but in all honesty, I can't say to you that miracles are normal in my life just yet. And that's full transparency. But I think there's fundamentally two barriers to a miraculous life. There's one that's quite broad and there's one that is more specific. The first is that we live as if Jesus isn't the Lord of our life. If you live that, if you live like your life is your own, how do you expect God to actually enter into your life? Because God's not going to violate your free will. He cannot. He has restrained his sovereignty so that he can work through you. It's so beautiful the way he does that, but it means that we have to make sure that Jesus is Lord of our life. Matthew 16, verse 24 to 25 says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Do you know the scripture that we put up here when we actually pray this in his prayer? If you haven't actually read it before, I encourage you to because Paul is talking about what actually you need to do in order to be saved. And he says in Romans 10, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Savior. No, it actually doesn't say that, that Jesus is is healer. No, it doesn't say that. If you confess that Jesus is my friend. No, it doesn't say that. It says, if you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You have to actually confess that he is Lord of your life in order to enter into the inheritance you have in Jesus Christ. If he is not Lord of your life, you cannot be called a disciple of Christ and therefore you're an oxymoron to Christians. Jesus must be Lord of our life. Some of you are sitting there like, yeah, that's not me. We're all good. We're great. I sorted that. Jesus is Lord of my life. I pray all the time. I read my Bible. I ask him what he wants me to do with my day. It's fine. We may have Jesus as Lord of our life. But I actually think, and this comes from personal experience, I think a lot of us would rather that he just stayed where he should be and didn't enter our life because it gets messy when Jesus enters my life. I can't control the outcome 
when Holy Spirit interrupts me. There's a spirit of control that the world has actually told us. And this is our second barrier is that we have a spirit of control. Jesus is Lord of our life, sure. But when you ask me to do something that I can't control the outcome, oh, no, 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 we're good. I'm going the other way. But God, what if you don't heal them? That's not your problem. I told you to pray for them. But God, what if they yell at me? Is that a problem for you? But God, what if they deny you? Or are you more actually scared they're going to deny you, not him? You see, when we try and control our lives, we're limiting the way that Holy Spirit can use us. And this is often manifesting us actually going busy to busy to busy to busy to busy to busy. Because if we stopped for a second and we let ourselves be divinely interrupted, we're actually scared of the outcome. We're actually scared of what might happen if we stopped for a second and asked Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do now? And I'm not telling you it's not a scary thought. I've been there. But I'm telling you it's actually a must. Is that your fear of man needs to be outweighed by your fear of God. And until that happens, the miracles won't be normal in your life. Because a miraculous life is one lived in submission to the divine interruptions of the Holy Spirit. In submission to being divinely interrupted. We all still here? We all good? All right, cool. Cool, cool. I'll keep going then. <laughs> so those are the two major barriers, I think, in the modern church are stopping miraculous things from happening every single day of the week. So how do we actually live a life that's submitted to the divine interruptions of the Holy Spirit? I'm glad you asked. It's quite simple, but it's often hard to outwork. There's many different things I could give you, but I'm just going to give you four today because I believe that these four things are the catalyst for, for everything else. The first thing is that a prayerful life is a submitted life because you worry more about what he says about it than what you think about it. You worry more about what he says about it than what your emotions are telling you about it. You actually let him get a word in. The people in my life that have the testimonies of all the miraculous things are the ones that pray the most. It's directly correlated. You can't have one without the other. That's why we say prayer fuels power. And when we talk power, we're talking miracles, right? Because it's the dunamis power that prayer is fueling. You have power inside of you, but unless you know how to use it through prayer and intimacy with the Father, then you're not going to use it. So a prayerful life is a submitted one. Luke 5.15, Jesus modeled this perfectly Luke 5 verse 15 to 16 but now even more the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to him and he healed of and to be healed of their infirmities so he just kept on ministering out of the momentum that he had no 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 but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray sometimes I actually think that we want to go to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing because we're worried about the momentum that we're having but if we stop for a second and we stop trying to actually do it in our own strength, you would have more than momentum, you'd have dunamis power. A prayerful life is a submitted one. The second thing that we can actually do in order to submit ourselves to the divine interruptions of the Holy Spirit is that we never miss our appointment with God. 
We commit ourselves to being students of the Word. Because instead of waiting for someone to tell you, how about you go to the Word of God that God gave you? John 15 verse 4 says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I use this analogy quite a bit, but you actually do nothing to the fruit of the tree to make the fruit taste good. You do absolutely nothing. You do nothing to the tree specifically. You might prune it every now and then, but to make it bear fruit, you don't really do much to the tree. Everything you do in order to make sure that the fruit is healthy, that the fruit tastes good, that the fruit is what you want, is in the soil. The soil in the Bible is a metaphor for our hearts. We must water our hearts. We must feed it seed. We must actually fertilize it. These are all symbols of the Word of God. When we actually start to read the Word and we store it in our hearts, our heart softens. And we don't mind the Holy Spirit interrupting us every once in a while. The third thing, and I have to ask, are you all good if I keep going with this? Because the third one's going to hit home hard. <laughs> all right, you said it. Obey the command of the tithe. Obey the command of the tithe. Some of you are wriggling going, why did you say command? I thought it was the great suggestion. Matthew 23, verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Nowadays, we chop the rest off. Like, okay, you tithe, but you neglected the other things, so we've got to make sure that we're doing justice and we're taking care of the poor and all those things, right? No, no, that's not what Jesus actually said. He said, these you ought to have done without neglecting the tithe. We should do those things. We should pursue justice. But the world today would like to tell you that you can actually neglect the tithe, give your money to charity, and you're all good. But the Bible doesn't tell us we can't neglect the tithe and do that because it's a heresy. A heresy is simply elevating one truth above another. We need both. The tithe is a command. Now, out of my personal experience, I struggled with this for a long time. I didn't necessarily, when I um, left for Italy, I didn't have a lot of money. I had 500 Australian dollars, which is about 250 euros. And I had three weeks of accommodation sorted out, no job, nothing at all. And when I got there, Holy Spirit actually said to me, why don't you tithe? I was like, well, because I haven't earned anything yet and I don't have a lot of money and I kind of need to eat. He's like, yeah, but I've got a job for you. So why don't you tithe? And he gave me an amount before you even get your first salary. And after a few days of struggling and a few days of ignoring, I did. I wasn't going to a church that time, but um, a church plant was just going on in Milan, so I, I tied to there. I wasn't necessarily in that house, but you got to tithe, so I did it. And the next day, um, I got a phone call from, from a school in Milan and they were like, hey, we'd like to come for you to come for an interview tomorrow. Got off the phone, organized that interview, fantastic. Phone rang again, thought it was the same people. Turned out it was a different school in Napoli. And they were like, we'd like you to come for an interview. When can you get down here? I was like, well, I've got an interview tomorrow. So we'll say Friday. And then I got off the phone and I picked up the phone again. 
and I had another job in Torino, Turin, and it was another interview, and I was like, well, I guess we'll go Saturday, and there was three job interviews like that. I went to the first one on Thursday. The CEO actually um, happened to be at the school of that day. It was an English school that had, I think, 50 schools across Italy, and the CEO of that company and founder of that company rocked up to my interview just by chance, apparently, and he told, after the entire interview, and I found this out later once I was hired, he told the director of the school that was actually doing the interview, don't you dare hire that boy. For context, I was 18, never taught a class in my life, had a diploma in second language teaching, but no practical skills. Taught the grammar that I was meant to be teaching completely incorrectly. And the CEO was correct in saying, don't hire that boy. But the director actually sat me down when she hired me and she said, I see something in you, Thomas. And I can teach you to be a teacher, but I can't teach you whatever you've got inside of you. She was talking about the Holy Spirit. She wasn't a Christian. She had no idea what was going on. I then went to work for that school for the next 12 months. And I slaved away for three months. I would spend an hour preparing for an hour class. And I taught about 35 classes a week for the first three months. So that's about 70 hours of work. But I did it. And six months later, I had a conversation with that director and she gave her life to Christ because she understood what it was in me again. The six months after that, and this is where I say um, about the visa thing, was that I had a job interview at the same company with that CEO and he actually was offering me a job to train people to do my job. (laughs) Holy Spirit's quite funny sometimes. (laughs) But all of this was an interruption to my plan. I actually didn't like Milan. I didn't want to stay in Milan. I wanted to go to Napoli. But Holy Spirit divinely interrupted my desires and he had a better plan for my life. All started because I obeyed the tithe. I have financial miracle after financial miracle after financial miracle. If I have faith for anything, it's a miracle of finance in my life and other people's life. It's because I have seen it time and time and time again. But it started because I obeyed the tithe. Because the tithe is not about your money, it's about your heart. It's a lordship question. Remember what I said, a barrier to a submitted life, to the divine interruptions is actually whether Jesus is Lord of your life. If you aren't tithing, I'm here to say, I'm sorry, Jesus isn't Lord of your life because your actions are telling me otherwise. How to live a submitted life. Obey the command of the tithe. Last one, how to live a submitted life to the divine interruptions of the Holy Spirit. Practice the principle of the Sabbath. In your busy life, could you give up, I won't even say a day, could you give up a half a day to do absolutely no work to realize that the world keeps ticking even if I'm not being productive. It is the greatest gift that Jesus actually gave to us. And he tells us this in Mark 2 verse 27. The Sabbath was actually made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for you and I. Why? Because he knew that we, one, needed rest, but two, needed a reminder constantly that it is God, the creator, that makes this whole thing tick. And he says that to the Israelites in Exodus 31, verse 13. You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations. Why? That you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. 
It's not through our works that we can do anything, but it's actually through the Lord. And that's what the Sabbath is. It's perspective that we are not here to work. We're here to worship. And it's the greatest gift. If you can even give a half a day to the Sabbath, if you can give a full day. When I started to do this, it was a challenge. And I'm not here to preach a message on the Sabbath. There is a ton of resources out there. Get people around you that know how to do it well. It is a challenge to start with because it is so countercultural to our mind but it is such a blessing from God. If you can create this margin in your life, you'll be more sensitive to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life and you won't mind Him interrupting you every once in a while. Now you still obviously need to put the work in to put these principles into place and to do these things. But these things actually put God in His rightful place. And as Corey likes to say, you get under the spout where the water comes out. You get some anointing on you. You actually start to believe for things because you're reading them in the Bible. You start to hear from God, so you start to step out because you're praying. You start to see financial miracle after financial miracle because you've shown that He is Lord of your life. And you actually realize that as you're praying for people, you're not doing anything. You're just being a conduit of the grace of God. Now back to trains as I wrap up, if the van would like to come. There was a trip that I went on when the um, school closed for three months in Italy and I was traveling around Europe and I was traveling by train, ironically, not by choice, but it was cheaper. And I was on a train from uh, the Czech Republic to uh, Berlin in Germany. And I decided that day, and it continued for, for the rest of the trip, that because I was paying uh, to catch trains per day so I could get on as many trains as I wanted, on that day for the same cost. It was really, really great. So I was like, well, I'm going to Berlin, but why don't I just stop off somewhere else along the way, right? On the way. It was great. The first stop that I decided to stop off in for no other reason than it was the halfway point between the Czech Republic and Berlin, and I thought, why not? Let's do it, was Dresden in Germany. And I saw this church that's going to come up on the screen behind me. Now, this church is in the center of Dresden, which is a city in Germany, and where it is, this is uh, actually a replica, so they rebuilt the church after World War II, but this church was built uh, during the Reformation on top of the Catholic church there, and the reason they were rebuilding it was because the people of the town at that time had a revelation of the body of Christ, and that's why the dome is actually in the center of the church, rather than more traditional Catholic churches where the dome is at the back. So during the Reformation, they had this revelation that it was the body of Christ coming together around the altar, where the altar wasn't behind in the Holy of Holies. It was everyone worshipping together, up close and personal with the Most High God. And that's why they rebuilt this church. When I was there that day, there was a lovely lady. And to be honest, I completely forgot about this until I was preparing this, uh, this sermon. But there was an old lady. She was about 80 years old. And I say that because she lived um, through the Second World War and she was be lived before the Second World War. So she actually used to go to church at the Lutheran church, that this church um, is where they are. And she told me a story. And it's in history documented, but she added the details that are only documented in the diary of the pastor at the time in history that she was talking about. In 1770, this church, during a war called the Seven Years' War, the Prussian army 
fired a hundred cannibals at this church. One hundred cannonballs at this church. Before it happened, the pastor was telling their congregation to go home. But the congregation said, no. We believe that if we stay and pray, the Holy Spirit will actually protect this house. Now I'm saying a hundred cannonballs. And it is well documented that that church, the dome was not destroyed. 100 cannonballs bounced off the dome of that church because the body of Christ submitted to a divine interruption of the Holy Spirit. They were not scared for their lives. They knew who their Lord was. They were not trying to control the outcome. They submitted to the divine interruption of the Holy Spirit and they saw a miracle. That church stood until Second World War. We're talking over 200, uh, yeah, just under 200 years before it was bombed in the Second World War because the body of Christ, I'm not, the pastor was going to send them home. It's not about me up here anymore. That's why they rebuilt the church around the altar. So the body of Christ had actually more gumption. They were close to the Holy Spirit. They knew what the Word said. So when the pastor out of fear said, go home because I can't protect you, they said, you know what? God can. They were susceptible to the interruptions and the whispers of Holy Spirit. But they got on their knees and prayed. And a hundred cannonballs later, the church was still standing. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life, and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.